Hi, and welcome to Techno at the End of the Future, a two-part podcast series by Camden Art Center and HKW that explores the origins of techno music and its migration from North America to Europe. My name is DeForest Brown Jr. I'm a producer, researcher, and author of Assembling a Black Counterculture. And in this episode, I'm joined by Steve Goodman, aka Code9, the producer, writer, and founder of Hyperduck Records, and Nikizi, producer, visual artist, and co-founder of Not Worldwide, to talk about the history of techno, the ancestral technologies embedded within it, and how it conjures alternate visions for the future. Steve Goodman's Hyperdub blog and label, his book Sonic Warfare, and his albums with Space Ape, Memories of the Future, and Black Sun, introduced me to a theoretical way of approaching and understanding electronic dance music as a continuation of the military entertainment complex that has also globalized the Black American expressions of jazz and soul. And I've been a fan of Nikizi since I first heard their album Seven Directions on the label UIQ and her previous work with Knob Worldwide. Her conception of African mythology as a material technology capable of reality shifting, time bending, and overall liberation offers new ways to consider Afrofuturism and global consciousness as we continue to live through a collapse of modern culture. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with them both. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Really good. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. No, this is super exciting. Um, I guess before we kind of jump into it, I'm kind of curious to see or to hear how both of you encountered electronic dance music and techno as a format. Yeah, I, I guess I would say like if I think about my personal connection with techno, I think it's more when I kind of got into the journey of realizing what its history was. So basically going to doing the ancestral voyage to the beginning of the genre. I think I was very, very inspired by a lot of like the, the strategies of the music. Definitely thinking about underground resistance and thinking about Drexia, thinking about the mythologies, but also thinking about what it meant or what it still means, I guess, for the communities that started it and how it also brought people together. I think as like an early techno, um, techno fan and techno enjoyer as being like on the dance floor instead of like on the stage. I think what was always so interesting and so beautiful was that even if it was a collective experience of like dancing together and having this, you know, having this big full dance floor, it was also like an individual experience where a lot of like epiphanies and, you know, moments of channeling ideas also like kind of um, existed on the dance floor. Uh, but then fast forward, I think now, um, obviously like having decided to take this journey of like rhythm and like thinking about what, how important rhythm can be as a way of, um, connecting with each other, but also as a way of like embodiment of knowledge systems. I think it's really interesting now to see, you know, the, like how the music kind of evolved and how new rhythms get created and how 
basically the, the connection between the ancestrality and the descendant and how far we can go back and maybe how far we can go to the future. So I think those are things I think about when I just think about techno at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up in Glasgow in Scotland in the late, I was a teenager in the late 80s. And so I was aware of, I suppose, early Detroit stuff, like being in the charts, you know, big fun and good life and so on. But I, I suppose my initial relationship to it was slightly a hostile one because I was 14, 15, 16 and I wasn't, Glasgow as a post-industrial city was, was also one of the very, one of the first places in Europe to receive Detroit techno, um, because some of the distributors were there and so on. But I had hostility to it because I just couldn't get into the clubs. And, uh, you know, I was also witnessing it seeping into British indie music, indie dance and so on through remixes and, and so on. Um, but I suppose it wasn't until I left Glasgow and I was old enough to get into clubs in Edinburgh. And I suppose the crucial moment for me was in maybe 1991 when I started kind of raving properly. And there was a club in Edinburgh called The Venue. And on a Friday night, they had a kind of hardcore techno night called Pure, which also had a lot of guests from Detroit, but also featured a lot of kind of early hardcore and, and rave music from the UK. And then on Thursday night, there was a club that played a lot of early mid-70s psychedelic jazz and funk. That's where I took ecstasy for the first time, not in a techno or house music or rave, but in a psychedelic 70s experimental jazz and funk context. So I suppose my my relation to techno has always been inflected by that initial kind of dance music epiphany outside of a rave context. And then I suppose the, host the slight hostility or alienation from British techno culture kind of continued because once I heard Jungle around about 1993, I felt like I didn't really need techno because I'd just been taken over by this crazy um, polyrhythmic music that made techno, despite its rhetoric of the future, sound slightly old fashioned compared with what I was experiencing Jungle. And and I suppose reading the first few chapters of your book and seeing the way you set up, you know, you you want to place techno as an idea in a in the in the lineage of Afro American music and take slightly take it out of this European usage of techno. I, I think that's super interesting because my experience of what you were what you mentioned this idea of the hardcore continuum it's actually a very British thing and quite different from European techno culture but I kind of exist you know I, I musically existed in this little tunnel of the hardcore continuum for quite a long time so from from jungle through drum and bass to UK garage to dubstep and grime and and through to UK funky and UK drill and so on while at the same time being very aware of the origins of techno in Detroit and how different Detroit techno sounded from a lot of the other 
versions of techno I was encountering. It's interesting. Growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, kind of in the, I'll say the remains of the civil rights movement. Like you, Steve, I, I experienced techno in a context that's closer to kind of Herbie Hancock, George Clinton. I would hear it next to like SOS Band and Alexander O'Neill and all these like uh, Jimmy Jam and um, Terry Lewis. And yeah, the way I heard techno, I would hear Cybertron on the radio or at like backyard barbecues like I, i'd never there were no clubs to to go to uh like in alabama so all of the stuff was studio music or radio music or just stuff that would play in the house but my full i guess rediscovering of it happened in around 2010 when i stumbled upon a copy of future shock from alvin toffler at my college's uh library for like 50 cents and discovered this idea of being shocked by too much change in too short of a period of time and being a millennial an american millennial coming of age like at like in a post 9 11 political atmosphere but also being in college just after the 2008 crash and and i guess yeah i should say probably exploring techno through alvin toffler's idea of a technocracy or a society or government government run by techno technical experts and discovering this term just a few years after the iphone was like you know, present it to the public, you know, looking up what the word, what the prefix of the word techno could stand for. And I immediately find one Atkins and I find techno and found out that one Atkins had actually read Alvin Toffler's uh, second book, um, The Third Wave in a class called Future Studies in Detroit, the same, like a, maybe a year after D Detroit's economy officially kind of collapsed. And I, I started thinking a lot about that, about this 20 year difference between me and this other like 19 year old black male, just kind of sitting in industrial ruins, sitting in a political kind of ruinous situation, um, and having to make sense of most particularly what America is as a platform for global warfare and, and propagandized aspiration, if you will. I find it so interesting, Steve, that you kind of talk about jungle being this like even more futuristic sound. Um, I've actually, I've been editing the part of the book where I talk about this sort of acceleration between Derek May and uh, a guy called Gerald and then suddenly jungle like sprawls out from like the sound system culture and this like creating this like free this free rhythmic music that that literally could not happen in America like Americans can't take that kind of noise and that kind of like clustered rhythm it just it goes against the the suburban like white colonial silence that comes with like settler colonialism I mean one one thing I'll say is that that period when I started raving 91 92 93 it you know it was almost like an aestheticization of the feeling of future shock that you're getting on the dance floor like being on the dance floor being subject to bombardment by these music like very intense it felt like being trained for a future that hadn't arrived yet so somehow the music was was deploying future shock as part of its aesthetics as part of what was beautiful about it in a way i think one of the the interesting things about this that particular british lineage which maybe makes it 
slightly different from Detroit or the way Detroit has been received? Because obviously in Europe, there's a lot of Detroit fetishism and Detroit purism, which I think is part of the same beast as mass appropriation of techno and whitewashing of techno. They're two sides of the same coin in a way. But, you know, there isn't the same thing in the UK, I don't think, because if you trace back the origins of the hardcore continuum, it's a completely synthetic, mongrelized origin point. So it's not a, a specific origin point. Right at its beginning, it's, you know, this is what it shares with hip hop. It's thieving, it's bastardizing, it's stealing, it's looting. And it's doing something, making something new out of all of these different elements. House and techno, dub and reggae, dancehall, rap, uh, the convergence between reggae and punk music and industrial music. All Somehow all of that is stirred into the mix. So what you have in this country is this wave after wave of what feels like innovation. But each wave involves massive disrespect by a younger generation towards an older generation and that somehow that's how the the innovation happens as opposed to what i perceive uh, at least the way europeans talk about detroit sometimes is this is a kind of reverential almost patriarchal bow down to the fathers thing and there's a lot it feels like electronic music culture in britain for better or worse feels a lot more disrespectful of its elders. Both of your works are so entrenched in, I guess I'll say like the sort of macro structures of electronic dance music, um, but also the macro structures of rhythm itself and time and like, and and I see Hyperdrop as being at the kind of the end of the hardcore continuum and, and where Nikizi, where you are, is just like completely blown through and like off the grid somewhere. Um, and I really love what you've done with Gabber, where you've just like pushed these like 200 BPM tempos into somewhere like just transcendental and, and, and ancestral. I guess my context is maybe, you know, I would say that I see myself as an outsider also because that was kind of my context, how I grew up, because being like first generation, you know, refugee family from the Congo during, you know, political refugees. So I feel like already coming from a position of being an outsider, I kind of like moved to Belgium, moved to like a small town, Leuven, that time wasn't really that mixed. You know, when I was at school, it was all the bullied kids. They were all listening to Gabber. You know, the cool kids, they were not listening to Gabber. They were listening to other genres. So it already came from a position that, you know, me being bullied at school because I was black, I ended up hanging out with the, with the Gabbers. That's why for me, it was also really weird to understand sometimes when I was like sneaking out and going to the raves that, you know, my friends would tell me like, be careful with the guys with the white laces in their boots because they're racist. But in a weird way, you know, my first interactions with, you know, that kind of club culture came from the the outsider position. But then recognizing that all these rhythms that I don't know why, that I was really connected with them, like on a very, very deep level. 
And I feel like those things were always things that made me question. And obviously coming to this point where I'm actually catching up with the history of the specific beats or the specific, what I would call like rhythmic strategies, learning more about the history of techno was just be like, okay, yes, like this is the connection, you know, this is the connection with the ancestrality. And then I feel like at that moment, it made definitely sense that then I had to really start listening to the 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 kind of more like ritualistic obviously like I was quite lucky because some friends of my parents they worked in kind of like archiving of music um or like kind of like world music so I I received like plenty of CDs just with like you know like this kind of like ethnographic anthropological recordings of um like tribes and in in all over Congo and Africa Rwanda Burundi so then for me, it became like a really interesting way where like I would list, be listening to these rhythms and, you know, being on the dance floor and finding the connection. I'm interested in this idea of rhythmic strategies, like what's even further down the well of blackness. Admittedly, I think it gets a little too abstract where people kind of take rhythmic structures in electronic music. They try to compare it to African drumming, which is a completely different thing because it's a human technology, not like hot wiring machines. Like it's a different. In fact, I would say techno is colonized music because we are inside of the empire trying to make sense of it as without even the possibility of an outside. But, but African technologies, African rhythms are indigenous and, 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 and dare I say real? I think for me, it started thinking, I guess, on like a science way, thinking more about rhythm and our brains. I was really interested in like concepts of like psycho, you know, like psychoacoustics this idea of like uh, rhythmic prediction and what it would do. So that's why I think in a way I was always very interested in the kind of ritual and the rhythmic trends as like this idea that it could bring in this like sorcery or like bring in people into like um kind of like hypnotizing moment. And that then, I guess in the context of like then fast forward, getting to doing shows, it be- became my strategy of like, how could I you know, get in this rhythm, get into these loops that people kind of get used to that. And then how from the moment where people get used to certain rhythms to break that open and that maybe in my weird way, I was thinking maybe that could open some channels in the brain because I would try to figure out how I would get people to get somewhere else and have this like experience that was, you know, as like opening a portal so I think in a, in a way, you know, and that's maybe like the more spiritual side of my practice, in a way, I understand that we need music to enjoy each other. But then it's just like, how can we also use music as another way to communicate, as another way to create new worlds and even, you know, imagine them together? How can we make the audience also step away of being this like passive, like museum, kind of like taking in culture? It's like, how can we get the audience as being actually active agents in change, you know? Victims themselves are close encounter. Desperate abductors constructors become an infected vexed. By an alien virus or alien so viral. Living species, creatures covered, smothered in writhing tentacles, stimulating the audio nerve directly. I'm really interested in memories of the future. I was listening to it last night, just trying to 
prepare for this like otherworldly non-techno journey <laughs> that we would take today. Um, but also, Memories of the Future came out in, what was it, 2005? That was such a crazy... Oh, was it six? I think it could have been six, yeah. At the time, myself and Space Ape were interested in time loops. Of like how the past and the future can be wired together somehow outside of the present. And while Malika was talking there, I was thinking about, um, you know, one of the one of the interesting things that electronic music can do is um, as a way of dealing with technocracy, like the, the technocratic world we live in, is by fusing together the sacred and technology as a way to circumvent this kind of uh, technocratic grid that reality is formatted through. I mean, part of the, the idea of Memories of the Future came from Chris Marker's film La Jete, which is about traveling to the future to get the secret to go back and prevent the destruction of, to go back into the past to prevent the destruction of humanity. But there was also a kind of a, a feeling of malaise in British music or this lineage of music that I've talked about. I mean, and I think dubstep in a way was a symptom of that. It was like a decelerated echo of jungle. And it was, you know, there's a kind of feeling that in the noughties in the UK of like, depression or melancholy that what happened to the 90s you know what happened to this moment where the internet was embryonic it looked like a space of emancipation 10 15 years later you got facebook everything is being paid personalized and everything is about identity and the 90s seems seemed to be about escaping to the future about losing identity and and trap or going beyond identity this is what's so important, like what's so, so important about the fact that Juan Atkins read The Third Wave in 1980, the, the year it came out, is that Alvin Toffler was saying that in 2020, there would be a crisis. He was already looking at 2020 as being 20 years after the end of the millennial calendar of the year 2000, so 20 years after the future, and that there would be both an ecological but also an economic collapse. And Juan's thoughts are kind of interesting in this because there's two things going on. Juan sees the entire structure of the next 20 years economically playing out in front of him. And there's even a section in this book called The Music Factory where this inflation that and this, the, like the digitization of music that Steve is talking about was actually already in this book. And Juan Atkins already saw that coming. That actually then moves on to something you we've talked about, Malika, about this idea of um sort of thinker like activists that we've talked about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that kind of comes to mind with this yes Mozulu. yeah it's 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 been amazing because i i, I think for me to be able to decondition myself also in my work i had to start from another viewpoint so then i was like okay let's start with cosmology even with how you know the the people from the congo traditions think that the world came into being so um Arriving then at the word of Mwazulu and like all the kind of like work he's been doing, because obviously he's also like an initiate, initiated in like some secret society, Congo secret society. So then it's like going into like all this, 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 this beautiful knowledge. I was so shocked when I saw that like the seven sacred rhythms or like to, to even think about ancestral rhythms and ancestral rhythm as technology as actually one of the what he calls the kingdom. So I would say like some of the legacies or institutions that have not been able to be destroyed by um, 
by this like Eurocentric, you know, like global um, world that started with like slavery and, 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 and or like the destruction of. <laughs> so it's not only the deportation of people, but it's also like really started with like destroying the, the bigger kingdoms. So I think like for me that that gave me so much hope also, because I think obviously as being like an artist with like African ancestry, you know, it's it's kind of sometimes feels a bit overwhelming because it's like, you know, you want to make art, you want to make music, but then you also want to, you know, do something, you know, for 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 because of everything that you see. So then I think in a weird way, it also gave me like reassurance because I was like, these rhythms will always keep existing, even if I'm not here anymore, because the rhythms know what they're doing and the kind of like invisible power that the rhythms kind of have um, inside of our reality and how we see the world. The ancestors know what they're doing, you know? One of the things that I found kind of interesting and gives some hope is that, you know, one of the powers of the Black Atlantic as a, a distributed music musical network cultural network is that when it seems like things are slowing down or getting less interesting there's a kind of reorientation from a set of key geographical locations whether it be detroit chicago london etc etc where and so other nodes on the network become more important and become more influential and it's not you know clearly when we think about the musics we've talked about, obviously it's mostly America, Britain and continent of Europe. But, you know, in the last, what started to happen with grime in um, the UK is this kind of generation of, of kids from African families as opposed to Afro-Caribbean families starting to have more influence on uh, black British music. And that's continuing now with like the importance of, of um, electronic dance music scenes from within Africa, whether it be South Africa, Nigeria, or Tanzania, and so on. And, and so the, the power of the Black Atlantic, um, musically or rhythmically, has this kind of rhythmic intelligence, which can, you know, the, the centers of the central processing unit is always shifting around. There's, not, there's no one central origin point. There's no one central hub where the purest, most most authentic, powerful energy is coming from, but there's a kind of resilience and, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of the birth of the internet. You know, the internet was created by DARPANET to be a, a network that would, would withstand nuclear attack. So if one part of the network is blown out, then the messages could be rerouted through other parts. And obviously the history of black music is constantly subject to tra the trauma of appropriation and whitewashing and so on, but somehow it always manages to reorientate around and, and reassemble itself around the energy coming from different points on the Black Atlantic. And somehow these rhythmic archetypes that Malika's talking about are like the engine room. Yeah, it's really nice what, how you explained it because... I feel like the other side of this idea of the seven rhythm also would be that this rhythm always come into play when there needs to be the, the building of new worlds. And I feel like what you said of like the shifting of these nodes kind of makes sense then that maybe energetically the new rhythms would kind of be kind of like emerge from places that would need it the most. 
which I think is really, which again, like what I said earlier, kind of reassures me that like the rhythm, like you said, the rhythmic intelligence will, will always know where it needs to kind of fuel energy to make sure that certain energies keep existing, that like it will always kind of find its way out and it will always be a few steps ahead, you know, because the time that appropriation happens, maybe it's already kind of moving somewhere else. The, the thing about techno is that it's really crude and primitive when you go back to the origin. And whenever I tell people to listen to techno, I'm like, go back to techno, the new dance sound of Detroit and sit with it and sit with how aged it sounds, sit with how kind of like unquantized and just like kind of wonky it is because it was a bunch of teenagers hot wiring stuff together. And I mean, when I consider a 19 year old reading this, like, you know, this futurist is like, 500 page tome about like the entire history of civilization and its collapse and i don't think he could process all of it and it took several people across detroit to process the truth of western civilization and blackness's place within it it's it's interesting because i mean when techno was exported i think what everyone got was a vibration and I think about this a lot with jungle, where you have them kind of sitting. It, it starts out as jungle techno, where they're sitting on this idea of technological black music, and then suddenly it sprawls into a whole jungle future. The, the spirit can leave techno, but it decentralizes and like rematerializes. Malika, do you think that the next spirit are just these old spirits that have been there all along? I don't know. I think, you know, again, from this point that I'm saying, like, you know, trying to look at reality from another standpoint... You know, these old spirits, they are us too, you know? So it's also this idea of like, there is not really, I think even sometimes talking about ancestral, we also have to put descendants with it, you know? Because it's, it's, it's about the, the flow between both of them. Again, with this idea of like the circular time of things kind of coming back and why the spiral is also so important in like, like African thought and African ancestral thought about this idea that like it's circular, but it still has like a movement of, maybe advancing in like this bigger, this bigger picture. So I feel like for me, it's more about this idea that like the spirit of, of, of techno can just do what it needs to do. I mean, this is happening all the time, isn't it? This is like the evolutionary cycles of any musical genre or musical ecosystem. It has a kind of breakthrough moment where there's a flood of innovation, then it spreads out. And in a way, techno became too successful for its own good the the spirit got way too distributed or it just became instead of being a an a vital scene or an, an alive scene it becomes undead which doesn't mean it doesn't exist and it doesn't mean it's it still has some moments of interest but the spirit's gone elsewhere but people are still doing obeying the ritual I mean, maybe the electronic dance music, not EDM, but just the whole thing is just like pub rock now. You know, maybe, you know, it's not new. Let's face it. It's, you know, it's it's been around for a long time. 
And maybe the, maybe the whole industry needs to sink or maybe, I don't know. It's certainly in an undead mode where I say that, but at the same time, it's going through so many interesting demographic changes, like more women and getting involved, the kind of resurgence of, of queer artists and, and non-binary and trans artists that it, it would be somehow it would be tragic to say that the industry was dead now because in a way it could just be starting because it's been this patriarchal system for so long that maybe it, it's it seems a bit I'm I'm always arguing myself about this if maybe it's it's premature to say that there's this kind of slow cancellation of the future when actually so many de demographic changes are happening within this industry and so many people trying to rewire it and re-enchant it and take it in a more interesting direction. But maybe that's tinkering on the surface and the more, the deeper kind of structural, maybe the, the deeper structure of it is is like I said at the beginning, more like pop rock now, and and that needs to just sink. You know, it's not new anymore. It doesn't have maybe the future isn't here anymore. Again, with what I was saying before, with like ancestrality and descendants, I think it's definitely that this form of rebirth. But then I feel a lot of like what I'm kind of hoping for or manifesting is more a form of responsibility that also comes from the artist and like. What are the ideas that we put up front? And I feel personally for me, that comes from like, you know, probably like doing the research, but also really understanding that we have these really great tools. Because again, going back to like the strategies and the rhythmic strategies, there is a lot we can do with these strategies that are used in techno and used in, in dance music and just like how we can communicate outside of language, outside of images with an audience. So I think for me, it's more about like, I feel that's kind of the route that I'm going for, where it's more about being more conscious about what are the sounds that I'm like sending out, you know, whatever needs to be said will be said. So I think it's kind of like this thing of like, you know, rebirth, obviously, but I think also it's really important to just also look at what's around and what we can do with what we have. No, I mean. My goal with techno is to go in the opposite direction of the hardcore continuum, to travel the Great Migration back down to where I'm from, to the Black Belt, where, which I was actually talking to Steve about this a while back, my region of America was actually the Atlantic Ocean thousands of years ago, and the the soil that, where the cotton was grown that started the global capital, you know, global capital empire that my ancestors picked, was created from, like, a sort of cultivated soil that was, like, you know, made up of millions of dead plankton that had inhabited that area um, when it was underwater. And a lot of my goal is to sort of, yeah, travel this great migration back down to, say, Atlanta, where James Stinson of Drexia died, which he kind of winks and goes, is Atlantis, and creating this kind of pathway into the Black Atlantic and then meeting up with Africans on the other side and creating this, like, Black Atlantic techno-consciousness um, over time, I mean, the book ends in 2020 with the exact hope of ending the modern, the modern culture, ending modern times, and yet beginning to like build this new future.
thanks everyone this was such a such a great and, and and spiritually fulfilling chat and i hope to have many more in our collapsing future can't wait to read the final few chapters of your book that you've been hoarding from us <laughs> i really have <laughs> i'm so excited that was nice <laughs>